Good morning to you, my friends. Hey, in a a couple of weeks, I think that's three weeks from now, uh, we're going to have a combined service, uh, Crossbridge and CBCGB, and there will be a faith promise pledge uh, taken on that day. And I'd like you to begin praying about how much you might give towards social concerns and missions in 2019. I'd like you to think about this and start praying about it and see if God might communicate something to you about making this pledge. Can I give you three reasons you might want to make the pledge? first reason is simply very practical because the missions committee needs to know how much money they're going to have for 2019. They have to make a budget and, you know, so they have to have a sense of how the Lord is leading and stirring in this congregation. And so just that practical reason, uh, they need to know how much we intend to give. Second reason, a little bit deeper than that one, and it is this. The Great Commission. You know, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. I am with you always to the end of the age. We cannot do the Great Commission without money. We need strategy. We need planning. We need to mobilize people and send them out. And so I think that you want to participate in that, in this great commission that God has given us, Perhaps not by being on the front edge out there in, with the unreached people and out there, but supporting them, partnering with them, the Great Commission. Somebody asks, well, how much should I give? Because I want to be part of the Great Commission, so uh, how much do I give? Well, pray about it. Some people say we should tithe. That's a biblical standard. That's a good standard. For many people, it would be a stretch just to tithe. Other people can give more than that. But let me just demonstrate to you, if the historic Christian church would tithe, we could change the world. Twelve percent of born-again Christians tithed in the year 2012. I think that this church is higher than that. I'm pretty sure this is a very good giving church. But let's say, even here, let's say it's a 32 percent, way above the average. You may want to consider pledging in faith, bumping up your percentage, maybe even to 10%, you may want to tithe. The average given among evangelical Christians is 2.43%, not 10%, 2.43. Once again, I think CBC, GB, and Crossbridge, I I think, I I don't know for sure, I've never seen the books or anything, but I think that we're pretty far above that, but maybe we're 7%. Pray about it. You can change the world by participating in the Great Commission. It's going to take money to do that. 
If Americans who identify with the historically Christian church would tithe there in 2008, so a while ago, in 2008 there would have been an, an additional $172 billion available. What can you do with that much money? It would take about a billion dollars for global evangelism. Global evangelism. Radio, literature, face-to-face, voice-to-voice, every person on earth hearing the gospel message, or at least having access to it. Take about a billion dollars to do that. Five billion could prevent childhood, could, uh, could uh, handle preventable childhood deaths under the age of five. These are preventable uh, from disease and malnutrition. It's not like accidents and stuff, but five billion dollars. Seven billion dollars for global, global primary education. We're not even getting close to 172 billion. 80 billion to impact the worst of the world's poverty. We're talking about just basic things, clean water, prenatal care, the literacy. If you and if the historically Christian church and if I would increase to an average of 10%, we could change the world. Somebody says, well, our church isn't going to change the world, even if we average 10%. No, we can change a little corner of it. God has not called us to change the whole world, but to participate in his plan to change the world with our little corner. Pray about it. They're going to be asking for a faith promise pledge, 2019. What is it, three weeks from now, November 11th? Pray about it. That's the second reason you may want to participate because of the Great Commission, changing the world. The third reason is for yourself. Not only changing out there, the, uh, the, the outside, the long ago, the far away, we are changed. Our hearts are conformed to the image of Christ. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. So we can grow in our faith. So you might want to stretch your faith. Stretch it. Give it a little exercise. Pray about it. I remember the first faith promise pledge I ever made. I had only been a Christian for a year or two. I was a teenager. And I prayed about it, and I don't know, I kind of sensed the Lord said, I didn't have any income or anything. I was a you know, high school or junior high student. And I sensed the Lord saying, in, in that year, the, the coming year, I want you to give $200. Now, this was a long time ago, you guys. The earth's crust had just hardened, and mastodons still roamed the plains. And $200 was like, where am I going to get $200? But I said, okay, and I filled out this card, $200. And that summer, the Lord gave me a job, and I was able to give $200. It just kind of stretched me a little bit. 
I think I came into a little bit into a more conformity to the image of Christ. So for yourself, that's my third. First reason is because the missions committee needs to know how much, you know, their budget. Second reason is the big one, Great Commission. Change the world. Third reason is for yourself. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart will be. And God rewards those who are devoted to him with our finances. As for the rich in this present age, that's you and me, you guys, for the most part. The rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. By giving to the Lord's program of missions, you may take hold of that which is truly life. Stretch yourself. Participate in the Great Commission and help out the missions committee as they set the budget. All right, let us now turn our attention to uh, 1 Thessalonians. We are going through 1 Thessalonians, a handbook for believers. Our series looks like this, you will remember. Way back a month ago, September 16th, how to tell if you're really a Christian. There's three marks. The gospel comes to you with power. You believe it and embrace that gospel. Then we talked about how to share the gospel. That was Pastor David. He said, share it verbally. Tell people about the gospel and the gospel of Christ. And also non-verbally with your life. Love them. Serve them. Then what to expect when you share the gospel? We can expect two things. Number one, opposition. Number two, encouragement. Participating in this great commission, taking hold of that which is really life. Then last week, uh, how to live for God. Do you remember that passage? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Let me remind you of uh, our instruction uh, last week. Uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to read to you that passage to remind us what we heard last week. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. All right, here's the instruction. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means perfected, made holy, conformed to his image. Specifically, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. 
The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, whoever, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And now we come to today's lesson dealing with the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ, October 21, how to rejoice even while grieving in the face of death. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 13. Would you like to stand, please, for this reading of God's word? Chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You may be seated. Thank you. Our focus today is the second coming. The second coming gives us hope. Are you ready to receive that message from God's holy word? Are you ready? Do you have ears attuned? Is your heart soft? Are you eager saying, Lord, feed me from your word? Hope, even while grieving. Hope in the midst of death, in the face of death. This is the word of God. May he give you ears to hear. May he give me the ability to communicate this truth. Hope is in short supply in our world. Look at some of the great thinkers, philosophers, scientists, authors. Hope is in short supply. Mark Twain said, men are born, they labor and sweat and struggle, they squabble and scold and fight. Those they love are taken from them, and the joy of life is turned to aching grief. The release comes at last, 
and they vanish from a world where they were of no consequence. A world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. The great scientist Sigmund Freud said the best that psychoanalysis can do is to return the patient to a normal level of human misery. (laughs) Wow. That's the best he could offer. I suppose it must have been 50 years ago now, singer-songwriter Paul Simon wrote a song, Slip Sliding Away. One of the verses says, I know a woman became a wife. These are the very words she used to describe her life. She said, a good day and got no rain. She said, a bad day is when I lie in bed and think of things that might have been. Hope is in short supply in our world. But hope is part of the central core for Christians. Faith, love, and hope are passages about hope. Especially in the face of death, those who have died in Christ, those who were believers, they're not gone forever. There's a reunion coming. That's what Paul's writing about. When he returns, a reunion, life forever with Jesus Christ. In the catacombs of Rome, the uh, burial crypts, when the Christians were being persecuted, they used to meet down there. They used to have church services down in the catacombs. They spent a lot of time down there, and they, 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 they would paint the walls, and they would decorate a little bit. And archaeologists have found inscriptions from Christians who were buried there, and they've seen the paintings. Pictures on the catacomb walls portray heaven with beautiful landscapes, children playing, people feasting. This is the Christian hope. One inscription says, in Christ, Alexander is not dead, but lives. Simply one who lives with God. He was taken up into his eternal home. In the year 125 A.D., so pretty early in the Christian era, in the the life of the church, 
a pagan author, his name was Aristides, was analyzing and commenting on why this new religion was, you know, just exploding. He wrote to a friend. Greek author Aristides wrote to a friend about why this new religion was so successful. He said, if any righteous man from among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God. And they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. This is the Christian hope for those who are in Christ, who believe in him, that have experienced salvation through him. We simply sleep. Death is but a sleep. And when Jesus comes back with the trumpet and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will wake up. (laughs) And we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we always be with the Lord. And so you and I grieve, yes. Death is sad. Death is a curse on this fallen world. But we don't grieve like those people who have no hope. Because we know that death is not a period at the end of the sentence. Just a comma. And the story continues. And the story is a beautiful story. Feasting. Discovery. Fulfilling work, no more debilitating disease, the presence of God. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So yes, grieve. Yes, when your loved ones are taken from you. Yes, when this tragedy called death occurs. Yes, absolutely, we grieve. But we have hope. And we can rejoice even when grieving. They called Mother Teresa the saint of the gutters. Remember Mother Teresa? She died in 1997. She was enormously influential in this world and spread God's love and his ministry around the world. She started an order of nuns in Calcutta terrible, poverty-stricken, working with the homeless people. And she ministered to them, and she would hold them in her arms as they expired, just to show them dignity and love in their last minutes. And her order expanded. And uh, by the time of her death in 1997, there were 600 different convents that were following her practices in 126 different countries. She was given the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, when she died in 1997, 12,000 people crammed into the Nataji Stadium. They held her funeral in a stadium there in Calcutta. In the streets outside, half a million people gathered, and there was a large billboard there in Calcutta. 
Mother Teresa, 1910, a year of her birth, dash eternity. Normally on a gravestone or on a big billboard, they would put the year of her death, 1910, to eternity. They can write the same thing on your gravestone. And if you are in Christ, if you believe in him, what an eternity. And so we have hope, even as we grieve for those that we love that have died in Christ. Can I show this to you just uh, in our passage? Let me show you this hope and this grieving. Let's just take it uh, verse by verse. Verse 13 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. That's a beautiful way to talk about death. They're asleep. This is a comma, not a period. There's more coming. You see, the Apostle Paul had founded this church in Thessalonica. You remember your background. He was with them a very short time. It might have been just a few weeks. More likely it was a few months. But he was giving them teaching and he was, you know, building up the church. And then they persecuted him. He had to get out of town. And he left behind people that, you know, they needed some teaching. He told them about the second coming of the Lord. They were, they were, yes, 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 he's coming back. But then week piled upon week, and weeks stretched into months, and months stretched into years, and their members started to die. And they were like, what is this? We thought Jesus was coming back. I didn't, this is, Huh? Maybe there was an older woman in their church, very old, very old. She walked with a walker. Her health was not good. And she died. But she was a believer in Jesus. And maybe, uh, maybe just, uh, you remember just last month, maybe there was that guy, he was a construction worker. Remember the accident? It was terrible. This whole load of rocks fell on him. He died. And the people were like, what? And somebody says, yeah. Remember that toddler? Got that that weird disease? Nobody even knew what... Just faded away. And the people were saying, what? What is this? And so the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about these people who have died in Christ. We know that you're grieving. What else could you do? But not as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see where our hope is grounded? 
see his reasoning, see his argumentation. We have hope even while we're grieving because, for, because Jesus died and rose again. And those who believe in Jesus, this is the doctrine of a union with Christ. His death becomes our death. His sacrifice for our, pays for our sins. His resurrection is our resurrection. All the benefits of being God's favored son now accrue to believers. Jesus died and rose again, so those who die in Christ will rise again. Have hope. Walk in faith. I know that you're sad. I know, I get it. But do not grieve as those in the world, Mark Twain, Sigmund Freud, who have no hope. Union with Christ. Because we declare to you something that the Lord himself gave to us. It's a word from the Lord. That we who are alive and who are left until the return of the Lord will not precede those. We're not going to like go up to heaven before them and we're not going to, those who are still alive on earth. No, they will actually precede us, these people that have died in the Lord. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet call of God, And the dead in Christ, the old lady with the walker, the construction worker, the toddler, will rise first. And then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And so the word for today is hope. It is perhaps even rejoicing, even while grieving. Florence Chadwick was the first woman to swim the English Channel, both directions. In 1952, she tried to set another long-distance swimming record. She wanted to swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California to the mainland, to California. Very difficult swim. Very long swim. Currents are terrible there. You've got to be a super athlete to be able to do this, but uh, she was a super athlete. She set out, 1952. The weather was foggy and cold. She could hardly see the boats that were accompanying her on this record-setting attempt. She was in the water for 15 hours. She was cold. She begged to be taken out of the water. Her mother was beside her in one of the boats, alongside of her, encouraging her. She said, you're close, you're close, you can make it. But finally, exhausted, mentally, emotionally, certainly physically, she just stopped swimming, (laughs) 
and they dredged her up out of the water and put her in the boat. Once she was in the boat, she discovered that the shore was less than a half a mile away. And the next day at a news conference, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And our handbook, 1 Thessalonians, cuts through the fog. Those who die in the Lord are asleep and they will rise again. Comfort each other with these words. Encouragement. Put courage into each other. You can make it. Don't lose your faith. Don't become bitter and withdrawn and blame God. He's coming. And the dead in Christ will rise. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them in the clouds. So, 1 Thessalonians says, you can go back one slide, chapter 5, verse 8. Put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Talking about a Roman armor, the armor of a soldier. You got hope? Put it on. You need the protection. Satan's going to be throwing stuff at you. Bonk. Hope. Satan's going to lob something at you. He's going to say, hey, look at the world. It proceeds as it always has from the beginning. Evil wins. What's this faith you have? Bonk. Hope. Like a helmet. Hope of salvation. He is going to set things right. And evil will no longer have the first word. Maybe Satan comes to you and says, God has forgotten you. Doesn't care about you. See this tragedy in your life? That is evidence. God has Alzheimer's. Or he's so hard-hearted, he just, whatever. You better get out some hope and put it on. Bonk, let that thing bounce off. He knows, he sees, he is with you, he feels. And Jesus went through it. He died, and he went through tragedy, and he rose again, and those who are in union with Christ will rise again, and the dead in Christ are just asleep. They will rise, put on hope, like a helmet, the hope of future salvation. This is the word of God. We can grieve, sure, but not like those who have no hope. 
because Jesus will return. This hope gives us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Encourage one another with these words. Our Father, we pray, Maranatha, even so, come. We're ready, Lord. This world is ready. We don't know why you delay so long, but uh, you know best. Help us to exercise our faith and our hope. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.